This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you and welcome to the show. We begin tonight's presentation with a visit with Nero Wolf, a character with many flaws, but that being said, he's a brilliant armchair detective. Nero Wolf lives in a luxurious brownstone on West 35th Street in New York City, and he is loath to leave his home for business or anything that would keep him from reading his books, tending his orchids, or eating the gourmet meals prepared by his personal chef, Fritz Brenner. Archie Goodwin, Wolf's sharp-witted, dapper young confidential secretary with an eye for attractive women, narrates the cases and does the legwork for the detective genius. The brownstone has three floors plus a large basement with living quarters, a rooftop greenhouse also with living quarters, and a small elevator used almost exclusively by Wolf. So let's go to the story tonight entitled The Girl Who Cried Wolf. Ladies and gentlemen, the ringing of that phone bell means adventure. Hello? Hello? The young man answering the phone is Archie Goodwin. Yes, this is Nero Wolf's office. The mountain of a man in the oversized armchair staring at Archie with a beady eye is Nero Wolf. Mr. Wolf is in. Mr. Wolf is always in. Would he stay in until... He would. Archie, what on earth? Boss, she sounds blonde. Phooey. Don't believe I can tell over the phone? Okay. Excuse me, miss, but are you blonde? Oh, go ahead and laugh. <laughs> Thank you. Mr. Wolf will see you. Goodbye. I did not say. No, but you will. Besides, she wasn't blonde. And I want you to see red. Oh, Archie, better think of some new ones. <laughs> Ridiculous. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the bulkiest, bulkiest, smartest, and most unpredictable detective in the world. That chair-born genius, Nero Wolfe, created by Rex Stout and brought to you in a new series of adventures over this NBC network in the person of Mr. Sidney Greenstreet. the case of the girl who cried wolf. In the old brownstone house on 35th Street, my boss, Nero Wolf, with all his 300 pounds, sits at his desk from which he runs his world. We have been patiently waiting for the lady client. Then there's a knock at the door, and I admit her. A beautiful, frightened, and red-headed girl. Mr. Wolf? Mr. Nero Wolf? Not by 160 pounds. 
I'm Archie Goodwin. Oh, yes. I spoke to you on the phone. I'm... I'm Mary Dunning, Mr. Goodwin. I was wondering if... He's in. He's always in. Come on. We'll try getting him to admit it. This is Mr. Wolf. Miss Mary Dunning. How do you do, Miss Dunning? Here, take this red leather chair. It's a nice match for your hair. You know, as old Dr. Tidmouse has said to me, beware of a red-headed woman. But I never could believe Thank you, Mr. Goodwin. Your business, Miss Dunning? Do you mean what I do or... Or why I've come to you. Both of you, please. Well, I'm Mr. Stevens' secretary at the Tolliver Ecological Foundation. Our offices are down on East 12th Street. Uh, ecological? Fear research as to factors operating on plant and animal development and survival, Archie. Animal development, huh? Miss Dunning, the foundation has several agricultural research projects throughout the country, hasn't it? That's right, Mr. Wolf. And Donald Stevens is executive director... Or was until... Was? He's disappeared. It's been three days now. He's not been near the office, nor his apartment. No message or... Apartment? Stephen's been living alone? He's a bachelor. He's engaged to Laura Tolliver. She's a cousin of the original Tollivers. But she doesn't know where he is either. Have you come to me on Laura Tolliver's account or on behalf of the foundation? Well... Well, neither, Mr. Wolf. I'm just worried and... And I'd heard of you as one of the finest private detectives in New York. You heard of me, Miss Dunning. We see that you're here. I still fail to understand why. But I've told you. Mr. Stevens has dropped out of sight. And there's another thing. The last time I saw him, he had a caller with him in his office. Caller? Male? Female? I don't know. We're in a converted old brownstone house, and... Well, the way the offices are laid out... I don't see all the people who come in unless they make a point of coming to my desk. Mm Mm-hmm. I see. All I know is that Mr. Stevens stepped out for a moment, looking either scared or angry, I couldn't be sure which, and asked me to see if there was a policeman at the corner. Which corner? (laughs) Archie, continue, Miss Dunning. Well, I started to go, and there were low voices arguing from the inner office. And then Mr. Stevens called me not to bother. Then what? He said I could go ahead and take my lunch hour then. So I did. And when I came back, he was gone. Leaving no message? Leaving no message. And you've neither seen or heard of him since? I've tried all over. By phone, going out myself. Miss Dunning, has Mr. Stevens been in the habit of making extended business trips? Well, once in a while to our research stations in Pennsylvania or New Jersey or up in Vermont, but not without letting me know. I have to make out his travel vouchers. Has there been any recent trouble at the foundation? Trouble? Financial trouble? Personal trouble? No, there's been no trouble. Miss Dunning, you're wasting my time and yours. This is a problem for the police, if there is a problem. Oh, oh no, Mr. Wolf. I, I'd have gone to the police, except... Well, if there should be an innocent explanation, it didn't seem fair to the foundation to risk the unpleasant publicity of... I said for the police. Oh, wait a minute, Mr. Wolf. It's your say-so, but when a girl walks in here and asks... A young lady can depart by the use of the same rather trim legs that carried her here, Archie. Oh, now, look, boss, just because I look at... stunning. I can think of a dozen reasons that might take your bachelor director out of town for a few days without the formality of explaining his actions. Then... You won't look into this? Despite Mr. Goodwin's frowns, no. Should Mr. Stevens not turn up tomorrow or so, I suggest you advise the police or whatever attorney acts for the foundation. There is such a person, of course. Yes. 
Jonas Dowd is counsel. He's also a coat trustee. Consult him, then, by all means. But you don't seem to understand. Hey, if you'll excuse me, I'm overdue for an important conference with my cook. We have just received a shipment of truffles from France. Well, of course, if Mr. I... Mr. Wolf, if you ask me... Precisely I... what I've refrained from doing, Archie. Would you be good enough to escort Miss Dunning to the door? To the door, Archie. Good night, Miss Dunning. Good night. Good night. And thanks, just the same. Look, Mr. Wolf, it's your shop and you can get as surly as you please. But can you give me one excuse for that high-handed brush? One thin shred of an excuse? Miss Dunning was sitting in this chair... The girl was lying, Archie. Lying? How can you say that? At least twice. And possibly from the moment she opened that undeniably pretty mouth. Now, if you would excuse me, Archie, I have an appointment with a truffle. You see, you have a surprise for me, Archie. Enough to yank you three inches out of that chair. Remember the girl who was here last night, Mary Dunning? You seem unwilling to let me forget her. Well, I took off on my own this morning to check up on that foundation setup. Good, Archie. I ventured a small bet with Fritz that you would. All right. See if your bet included this. I found Stevens down there right in his office. Missing executive director? Yes, and the missing Mr. Stevens claimed he had just been on a business trip. Delayed getting back because his car had been smacked by a hit-and-run driver in New Jersey. Now, here's the payoff. He even tried to make out that he'd been thinking of calling you in on a problem. Hit-and-run accident? No, no, something about the foundation. But I didn't waste time letting him cloud it up for us. The point is... Archie, that... you brought him here, of course. Stevens? No, he's still down there. We'll want to grab him before the day is out, but I had something more important to run down first. It took me three calls on the way up here, but you can take it as confirmed. We've still got a disappearance case, and this one you're not sitting out. Indeed. And who has disappeared now? Mary Dunning. Stevens is back, but Mary's gone. Not at the office, not at her rooming house, and none of her clothes are taken. How'd you get going? Put a police call out on Mary. Back to 12th Street and get Stevens out of that office and up here as fast as you can. I'll phone him. You are on the way. Hello? This Donald Stevens? Yes, this is Donald Stevens. It's Nero Wolf. I understand you've been thinking of consulting me. Well, as a matter of fact, I have, Mr. Wolf. I started to explain to Mr. Goodwin, but... Uh... Are you alone there at the office? Why, well, yes. As it happens... Be careful. I don't think your car smashed up as an accident. I've just sent Mr. Goodwin to ask you to come here. Meanwhile, I'd suggest... Oh, excuse me, Mr. Wolf. There seems to be someone coming in now. Wait, Mr. Stevens. There hasn't been time for Archie to get there yet. Excuse me, Mr. Wolf. Just hold the wire a moment. Wait, Mr. Stevens. Uh, come on in. I haven't had a chance yet. Oh, what? No! No! Oh. And that's all Inspector Kramer has been able to make of it, Archie? Not to hear him tell it, but that's all he's got. Stephen dead and the girl still missing. Did you find anything helpful at the office? I think the murderer started to tear up some account books and project ledgers, but I must have scared him away when I rang the bell. Couldn't have been more than three or four minutes after the shooting when I got there. But you saw no one? Hmm. The murderer can cover a lot of ground in three or four minutes. 
You were naturally by accident, since it is mildly illegal. You had a good look at the dead man? A very good look. Not to mention his pockets. Anything particular? Well, there was a half-eaten package of lifesavers in the left-hand trouser pocket. What's particular about that? The flavor was lime. I hate lime. Fooey. <laughs> Archie, I uh, called Jonas Dowd last night. The foundation lawyer? Yes, he set up the original charter under which Donald Stevens operated with an annual fund of $90,000. Ecology has its attractions. 90,000 attractions, to be precise. It indicates a possible reason for Stevens' murder. He was in sole charge of that money. Somebody donated 338 caliber bullets to him. Hardly a token of appreciation. Perhaps not. However, the shooting followed the attempt to stage an automobile accident. Archie, I've sent Saul Panza on an errand for me. Saul, huh? He's expensive. True, he's the best man in the shadow job there is, but... You've got something, huh? Possibility. An angle I can't handle? Apart from your natural preference for curves, you've more than work enough here in New York. Finding Mary Dunning for a starter. Or, uh, her body? Or her body, as it may be. Is that what Saul's on, picking up a line on Mary? Among other chores, Saul's is buying me some special groceries at the city market. You frown, Archie. I glower, but okay, play it cozy. You can send Saul off to Stockholm for smorgasbord for all I care. I'm still asking, what about Stevens and what about Mary? Where do we start? I'm expecting Laura Tolliver, the heiress and the son of Jonas Dowd here within a few minutes. Jonas Dowd himself proved as difficult to pry from the office as... Uh... As you generally are from this one. Oh, good for old Jonas. Wait a minute, though. You said a son was coming. Would that be Peter Dowd? It would be. Could I trouble you to pass that second bottle of beer? It's your third. Stop auditing me, Archie. You reacted to the name of Peter Dowd. May I ask why? Kramer is ahead of you on that pitch. He's had Peter Dowd downtown already. And learn? Playboy, used to be in love with Laura Tolliver, now in line to take over Stephen's tidy 20000 a year salary as executive director. To take over, fui. Peter Dowd's no ecologist. He's got more important qualifications. His old man and Laura Tolliver are co-trustees under the Tolliver will, and the director can be anybody they name. Archie, you sound prejudiced against young Mr. Dowd. Yeah, that's what Kramer said. I'm just naturally suspicious of anybody who stood to pick up 20 grand a year, plus a whack at the 90,000 a year in house money, just by throwing 338 caliber slugs into Stevens. Particularly after getting rid of Mary Dunning to clear the way. The police still have no leads on Miss Dunning? A for effort, Z for results. Now, the way I see it, boss. Leg work now, Archie. Guess it's later. You might try Miss Dunning's landlady again for one, and try Peter Dowd's apartment. Now? Yes. I'd say go along keep after the missing girl. Instead of sifting through the names in Stephen's appointment book you were asking about? It's two legs of the same animal. The names may help on the girl. Now, Archie, on your way. Come in. Mr. Wall? Yes, come in, Mr. Oliver, Mr. Dowd. Sit down. It's good of you both to come. Miss Tolliver, I'm profoundly sorry of your loss. You were to marry Mr. Stevens, as I understand it. Yes, three weeks from today. I was trying to warn poor Stevens just as the murderer came in. But he evidently knew his caller well enough to feel no alarm. The uh, police told us that, Mr. Wolfe. We've just come from Inspector Kramer's office. 
I know, Mr. Dowd. Did you gather the inspector meant to see you again? Why should he? How could anyone think that, well, that, that Peter could have anything to do with this, this horrible business? I see that you have no doubts about Mr. Dowd here, Mr. Oliver. Easy, Laura. Yes, Mr. Wolf, I, I gathered that Kramer was interested in me. He's got a man outside here watching us now. You're alert, Mr. Dowd, or... Or what? Or aware that Inspector Kramer may have grounds for keeping you under surveillance. Look, Mr. Wolf, I didn't come here to be put through the jumps again. First Kramer, and now you. I'm acting for the Tolliver Foundation, Mr. Dowd. I have been since your father attained me last night. Well, why jump on me, then? Young man in my age and weight, the chances of my jumping on anyone are about as likely as, uh, well, as unlikely as to expect that you are not still in love with Miss Laura Tolliver here. Mr. Wolf, we haven't admitted that, that we... Miss Tolliver, Miss Tolliver, your concern a moment ago at the possibility that this young man might be charged with Stephen's murder... Now, wait a minute, Mr. Wolf. Climb back on me if you want, but let Laura alone. If you're trying to... to I'm no longer trying, Mr. Dowd. You both confirmed the point for me. All right. I am still in love with Laura. And I think Laura's known ever since she accepted Stephen's ring that that their engagement was a mistake. What are you going to make of that? Did Stevens know you hadn't given up on Laura? I told him twice. I even went down to the foundation just... Just when, Mr. Dowd? This morning while I was telephoned Stevens, for example? I... I... I haven't been near the foundation office for days. I, I've... Well, I, I've been out of town. Mr. Wolf, you've no right to twist and turn everything Peter says. I do love him, but I... Laura. Well, that's, that's the first time you've come right out with it since... I'm sorry, Peter. I've wanted to tell you a thousand times. But, well, you kept going away on all those trips, and I never knew whether it was for some other girl or... <clears throat> Mr. Dowd, Miss Tolliver, could this tender exchange be postponed till you two find yourselves alone? Go ahead, Mr. Wolf. Ask anything you want, as long as I know it's all right with Laura here. Brownie spoken, Mr. Dowd. May I ask about Mary? Ma- What's Mary Dunning got to do with this? I'm glad you're aware of the Mary I meant. Well, well, I, I, I've met her at the foundation, of course. We've all heard she's missing. You couldn't suggest where she might be. How would Peter know? Let's return to Mr. Stevens. Can either of you explain his three days' absence from the city? I've been out of town myself. Mr. Oliver? He could have been inspecting any one of the research plants. He didn't tell me, if that's what you mean. Stevens said this morning he had been wanting to consult me. You can't suggest why? Well, no, I can't. About foundation business or personal business? Three thirty-eight caliber bullets kept Mr. Stevens from making that clear, Mr. Oliver. Mr. Dowd's father is sending me over some material, but as yet, it's not in my hands. Are you familiar with the personnel at the research stations? There aren't any more than four or five project managers. Halsey in Vermont, Schwartzdown, Pennsylvania. Excuse me. Nero Wolf? Archie. Yes, Archie. You can take it back about Mary Dunning. If she's a liar, she's just gone to a lot of trouble to make it look good. Dead? No, but knocked out with chloroform and stuffed in a closet in a man's apartment. And uh, guess whose apartment? Spare me your charades, Archie. Peter Dowds. That's where I'm calling from. Is he still with you? As it happens, yes. You better hang on to him. There's been another development. Inspector Kramer's got hold of a man named Schwartz. The Pennsylvania project manager. Right. Schwartz was at the foundation office this morning, and he says Peter Dowd was going in as he came out. When? Within minutes of your call to Stevens. Kramer's on his way to your place now to pick up young Dowd. Any uh, instructions? I'd like more company. Well, the ball game is all wrapped up, isn't it? I'd still like more company. Right. 
Mary and Schwartz? If you can get them here. And Archie. Yes? Get them here. I'll have that fifth bottle of beer, Archie. Seventh and quarter for the night. And when do you get around to calling in Mary and our friend Schwartz? In a moment, Archie, in a moment. After all that scramble to get him here. I've been studying these project reports that Jonas Dowd sent over. Fascinating field ecology. I know. The factors playing in the development and survival of living organisms. Too bad poor Stevens didn't figure on a factor named Peter Dowd. Archie, I'm ready for Mr. Schwartz now. No Mary? I'll risk you in the next room with Miss Dunning for the time being. Okay. One Schwartz coming up. Oh, come in, Mr. Schwartz. Mr. Wolf? How do you do, Mr. Schwartz? My apologies for this long wait you've had. And I'll try to make our business brief. Yes, sir. Mr. Schwartz, you managed the Tolliver Agricultural Research Station in Pennsylvania for some time. Two years. I am not sure I didn't once enjoy a shipment of mushrooms that came from your place. You've experimented with Maya Arenaria. Maya Arenaria? Yes, of course. Yes, we've done some work with mushrooms. They were excellent. Uh, by the way, I understand you saw Mr. Stevens just before he was shot down. If I'd stayed ten minutes longer, he might still be alive. May I ask the purpose of your call? I was delivering the monthly reports. No special trouble you came to discuss? No, sir. You met Peter Dowd coming in at the foundation as you were going out. How did he look? In a hurry. How so? He just pushed past with his face turned away. You sure it was he? Yes, I had seen him at the foundation maybe two or three times before. Were you aware that Mr. Stevens and Mr. Dowd were both apparently in love with the same young lady? I'm a research worker, Mr. Wolfe. I wouldn't know about Mr. Stevens' personal affairs. Just an hour ago, before Inspector Kramer took him from here, young Dowd admitted that he'd been there today. I didn't think I could be mistaken. But he said only because Stevens had phoned him to come. Were you there when that call was made? No, there was no call to Dowd while I was there. Hey, excuse me, Mr. Swartz. Yes, Nero Wolf speaking. This is Saul Panzer. Yes, Saul, you're still... Yeah, uh... still down here at the city market. Looks as if you were right. Indeed? One of their trucks just pulled in with a load of full crates. Top quality produce. I'll try not to wince when you send in the expense sheets. Any other confirmation? Internal revenue records show no taxes paid on income by the Tolliver Foundation. Thank you, Saul. Phone any information as you get it. You'll forgive me again, Mr. Swartz. Archie! Yes, boss? Could you ask Miss Dunning to step in now? Coming up. Come in now, Miss Dunning. Good evening, Miss Dunning. You've quite recovered from the chloroform? Mr. Goodwin's been helping me. He's been rubbing my forehead, and I'm beginning Spare me to... any further details. Miss Dunnings, would you mind telling me again how it was you came to find yourself in Mr. Dowd's apartment? Well, it was the phone call that got me to go over. It was a man whispering. He didn't give his name, but he said if I came to that address, apartment 4C, I could learn something about Mr. Stevens. You went to apartment 4C, and then? That's really all I know. Just after the door opened, before I could see him, this coat was thrown over my head and... Then he must have given me the chloroform. It was Peter Dowd, of course. Dowd? Who else could it have been? It could have been Mr. Swartz here. Mr. Wolf, you're joking. Am I, Swartz? Joking or drunk? Why should I... Uh... For the ancient reason, Swartz. Money. 
for the racket you had and wanted to keep. Racket? Mr. Schwartz was in... Schwartz is no more of an ecologist than Mr. Goodwin here. A moment ago, he accepted Myra Arenaria as a mushroom. It happens to be a common clam, common on nearly any beach, rare in inland Pennsylvania. Stevens knew I didn't go in for all that Latin stuff. I could understand that you might be useful without it, Schwartz. But to get away from your station operations, you faked the scientific knowledge you never had. All right. Suppose I am more of a farmer than a fancy scientist. Our job at the research station is to raise vegetable crops, isn't it? As you worked at Swartz, of course. You turned an agricultural research project into a commercial farm. All expenses met from tax-free funds. And not a cent of return shown for the produce sold. So that's why Saul Panzer drew the rutabagus run. Stephen had the innocence of a specialist interested in his own field only. But even Stevens finally began to get on to those doctored reports of your sports. And when was it the Internal Revenue men began asking questions? Look, Goodwin, is this fat guy out of his mind? You had to get rid of Stevens after the last inspection trip. Were you even counting on taking over his job after Peter Dowd was put away for Stevens' murder? Merely if you'll just explain to this lunatic. Watch it, Archie, watch it. I've got his gun. Droidly done, Archie. Now, wait a minute. This is a 32, and it was a 38 that did the murder. Mr. Wolf, that's my bag. You can't... Take this pistol from it, I have, my dear. This extraordinary effort you put me to of actually leaving my chair to secure this weapon. We'll add that to the score against you. Mr. Wolf, if you aren't too Tucker to answer, that gun from Mary's bag. It's a 38. It may be the one used on Stevens. But Mary couldn't. She didn't. The ballistics tells us that this is the weapon. Then Swartz must have passed it to her for safekeeping. Till it could be planted in young Dowd's apartment or car or whatever. I didn't have anything to do with it. Miss Dunning, you had to do it more than you know. Do you realize that if Mr. Goodwin hadn't found you at the Dowd apartment when he did, that you might not be alive at this moment? You were the one person who knew Swartz's crime. Mary, don't listen to him. She's listening, Swartz. Miss Dunning, you thought the chloroform scheme was directed solely against Peter Dowd. And so you let Swartz talk you into it. Mr. Goodwin tells me the door of that closet was sealed with scotch tape. I didn't know that. Schwartz actually tried... Your chloroform sleep was meant to turn into a permanent one, Miss Dunning. And I was trying to cover for him. All right, here it is. Schwartz planned it all. He did try the hit and run, and he did shoot Stephen. He's a liar. Mary, you've been juggling those books since... Say the details for Inspector Kramer, Schwartz. There's guilt enough to be divided between you and guilt enough to burn you both. All right, you're being noble and not rubbing it in. Don't I merit a full explanation? Archie, I am concentrating on truffles. Do we dig out a bird or shall we have them in an omelet again? Mr. Wolf, look, I've got a white flag up and I'm asking. All right, Mary and Schwartz wanted Stevens out of the way. And all right, they tried to hang it on Peter Dowd. But why'd Mary come here and try to get you into it in the first place? As far as she knew that night, Archie, Stevens wasn't to get back to New York alive. Swartz's hit-and-run ambush in New Jersey was supposed to take care of Stevens on his way back from Pennsylvania. By luck, Stevens survived the accident, and Swartz had to follow him here to finish him off. Yes, but I still don't see why... Mary came here to establish her innocence by pretending to seek her help. 
Oh. And she thought to keep suspicion from Swartz by creating the imaginary figure of a threatening caller at the office several days before. She knew Stevens meant to consult me about Swartz, and she could guess Jonas Dowd would call me in eventually. Well, Stevens said he wanted to consult you that morning when I... That morning when you couldn't hear Stevens out because you were seeing him as Mary Dunning wanted us to see him. Oh, a trick operated with two vanishing acts to explain. Stevens's and Mary's. There you have it, Archie. And both fake. A straight business trip branded a run-out or a snatch only by Mary's account, and then the chloroform act at Dowd's apartment. You have it in full. Mm-hmm. Except how you knew she was lying to start with. Point one, the girl offered no fee, no prospect of a fee. Mm-hmm. Stay at that. Could anyone claim knowledge of my reputation, Archie, and still seriously expect that I would take an arduous labor for the love of it? Oh, Hmm. I'm ashamed of myself. Point two, she told us of a caller coming to see Stevens, of Stevens asking her to fetch a policeman, then changing his mind. When asked to call a policeman, what woman's curiosity would be satisfied by being told not to bother (laughs) <laughs> How utterly brilliant you are. Hmm, yes. Archie, a bottle of beer. All right. And now back to a serious problem, you know. I think I see a compromise on these troubles. Between bird and omelet? Archie, why not both? Ah! You have been listening to The New Adventures of Nero Wolf, starring Sidney Greenstreet. Tonight's transcribed story by Charles O'Neill was based on the characters created by Rex Stout. This is an Edwin Fadiman program produced and directed by J. Donald Wilson. In the cast were Larry Dobkin as Archie Goodwin, and Charlotte Lawrence, Howard McNear, Mona Keneally, Lamont Johnson, and Herb Butterfield. Next week, at this same time, Nero Wolfe and Archie will bring you The Case of the Slaughtered Santa Clauses. Don Stanley speaking. Stay tuned for Fibber McGee and Molly next on Theater of the Mind. Time now to check in with Fibber McGee and Molly and hear about the time that Fibber bought a trunk. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson Wax products for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly, written by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie, with music by the King's Men and Billy Mills Orchestra. You know what an auction room is. It's an indoor junkyard. 
where if the auctioneer catches you nodding, you're the new owner of an antique cobbler's bench that your 10-year-old son could have made a better one in manual training. But auctions have a definite fascination for some people, among them being Fibber McGee and Molly. Ten dollars. Ten dollars, immense. It's ten dollars <laughs> for this lovely tea caddy. A genuine antique, a gift from Julius Caesar to Marie Antoinette. Do I have fifteen? Fifteen. For goodness sakes, McGee, stop bidding. We don't need a tea caddy. I can carry my own tea. (laughs) Oh, I won't get it. I'm just having fun. I get a bang out of auctions. Somebody will top my bid like... Seventeen fifty. See? (laughs) Seventeen fifty, I'm bid. Do I have twenty? Going once at seventeen fifty? Going twice at seventeen fifty? Going three times to seventeen fifty. Sold for three times seventeen fifty. Which is exactly fifty-two fifty to the lucky gentleman in the fourth row. Well, I never heard of such a thing. Come on, McGee, let's go home. The weather's cleared up and we've proved we knew enough to come in out of the rain. Oh, let's stick around a while. I love these things. <laughs> Item four twelve, as you will see by your catalogs, ladies and gentlemen. This is an inlaid high boy. High boy. Hi. <laughs> This is an inlaid high boy of rosewood and ivory from the palace of the Grand Duke, which was situated on the rapids of the Danube. To prove it's authentic, ladies and gentlemen, on this faded old label, we can still make out the words, Grand and Rapid. <laughs> what am I bid for this lovely piece, which was a gift from Cleopatra to Henry VIII? Twenty-five dollars. Heavenly days, that sounds like Mrs. Carstairs. McGee, it is Mrs. Carstairs. Well, she's made her bid. She'll have to lie in it. $25, I'm bid. Who'll make it 30? 30 for that broken down old... 30, I hear. Who'll make it 40? Do I hear 40? McGee, for goodness sakes, be quiet. If nobody says 40, you're stuck for the... I hear 40. What? <laughs> the lady with the little man in the rear bids 40. Now, just a darn minute, Butch. $50. Ah, $50. Do I hear 75? Going once at 50, twice, sold for $50 to Mrs. Carstairs. Shall we deliver it for you, Mrs. Carstairs? Thank you, no. My chauffeur will call for you. Yoo-hoo! Hello there, Mrs. Carstairs. <laughs> oh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? Hi, Carsty. That was quite a slug of moolah you just put out for that worm-eaten pile of condemned lumber. <laughs> Darn thing's got three legs like Queen Anne and one like Leon Earl. <laughs> I guess Mrs. Carstairs knows what she's doing, dearie. I happen to be buying this highboy for my husband, Mr. McGee. Mr. Carstairs is extremely fond of antiques. (laughs) There's as perfect a straight line as I ever heard. (laughs) But I haven't got the heart to deliver the bomb. That's a pretty heavy piece of furniture for your chauffeur to handle, Mrs. Carstairs. Maybe McGee would help him carry it out. Oh, thank you, my dear, but my footman will assist him. We still have one footman, you know, although our domestic staff has been cut to the bone. He has? How? Slicing toast for hors (laughs) d'oeuvres. Did I tell you, Mrs. McGee, that I was forced to discharge my upstairs maid last week? Oh, no. That's too bad, Mrs. Carstairs. Why? The impudent girl came downstairs. (laughs) Uh, Tell me, 
Tell me, Mrs. Carstairs, do you plan to stay in town all summer? We are undecided, my dear. We might go to our hunting lodge in Maine, our chalet in the Berkshires, our hacienda in Acapulco, or we may visit our orange groves in Santa Barbara. Uh, what kind of oranges you raise, Carsty? Valencias or navels? The latter, Mr. McGee, although we refrain from using the more vulgar term. <laughs> Mr. Carstairs and I refer to them as Citrus Umbilicus. Good day, Mrs. McGee. Good day, Mrs. Carstairs. Boy, boy, oh boy, what a character. You and she don't seem to get along, do you, McGee? I get along all right, but she don't. (laughs) She forgets the upper crust is just a lot of crumbs held together by their own dough. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, item 413 in the catalog, a genuine dreadnought trunk, 75 years old, contents unknown from the estate of Mr. J. Farthington Campwell. Crampwell? Hey, he's the rich millionaire that had all his money hid around his house. Why, that trunk might be full of cash. Not very likely, dearie. His estate spent 40 years in probate court. Well? If there was any money in that trunk, there'd be three lawyers sitting on the lid. <laughs> well, just the same, I got a good... What am I bid for this sad, interesting old trunk, ladies and gentlemen? A dreadnought trunk is practically indestructible. Two dollars. The little man bids two dollars. A ridiculous offer, friends. Two dollars for a handsome trunk which might contain valuable property worth thousands of dollars. Four dollars. <laughs> Four dollars. Five dollars. Five dollars. Six dollars. Six dollars. Ah, what spirited bidding, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Will some mad, impulsive spendthrift raise the bid to six fifty? Seven bucks. Seven dollars the little man offers. Let's stop matching nickels, ladies and gentlemen, and get on with business, huh? This is an auction sale, not... Nine dollars, and that's my last offer. Now, McGee, if you plan to put that moth-eaten old grab bag in our hall closet now... Nine dollars on bid, do I hear? Ten dollars. Ten dollars and three cents. What was that again, son? I says ten dollars and three cents. Take your earmuffs off, Buster. Spring is here. <laughs> Going once at ten dollars and three cents. Going twice. Sold to the short sport and a long sweater. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Here we go again. And here's your dough, wise guy, in cash. Ah, and a pleasant surprise it is, my friend. Will you take it with you, or shall I have our 12 beautiful dancing girls carry you home in it? Well, that's an interesting question, McGee. How do we get it home? You stay here a minute, Molly. I'll go get a cab, and the driver will help you load it on. Hurry, McGee. Uh, Do you really think this trunk has something valuable in it, Mr. Auctioneer? Lady, I'm going to be honest for the first time today. That's the worst hunk of junk that ever broke an express company's heart. And I wouldn't give you a counterfeit dime for it if it was full of nylons, T-bones, and Grieg arson. And now, ladies and gentlemen, item 14 on... Billy Mills in the orchestra and Green...
Boy, is that trunk heavy. Whew. Cab driver said he hadn't had a bigger load on since New Year's Eve. <laughs> You're not going to leave it out here on the porch, are you? Well, why not? Well, people might think we'd just come back from someplace. In which case, they must have thought we'd been away. Mm -hmm. And if they didn't miss us any more than that, my feelings are hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I better get it in the house at that. If it's full of money, it'll be safer inside. Yes, it would. Open the door, will you? Okay. One, two, three. This, 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 this. That's the heaviest piece of luggage I ever saw. Hey, but Molly, did you hear it jingle when we moved it? Yeah, what do you suppose it's full of? Pie tins? Look, Snooky, these trunks haven't been manufactured for 75 years. Oh, really? And 75 years ago, they used gold money. Oh? If this trunk is full of $10 gold pieces, for instance, why, we're modestly rich. In a totally sort of a way. We're also in trouble with Uncle Sam, aren't we? No, the government will pay us 32 bucks an ounce for gold, or something like that. And this thing must weigh 300 pounds. Allowing 60 pounds for the trunk, that leaves 240 pounds... Sixteen times two hundred and forty is how much? Three thousand eight hundred and forty. Though I'd like to check that with the quiz kids. <laughs> Boy, that's near enough. Three thousand eight hundred and forty times thirty-two bucks is ooh. A hundred and twenty-two thousand eight hundred and eighty. Wow, a hundred and twenty-three thousand bucks. Why we're rich, Molly. Now I can take Anthony Adverse back to the public library. <laughs> now wait a minute, McGee. Before we fill the swimming pool with champagne. Hadn't we better see what's actually in this trunk? Oh, sure, but it's just a formality, kiddo. Suppose it's only got $5 gold pieces in it. And still 60,000 frog skins. Where's my keys? Ah, here they are. Ah, we'll see. That little one in the middle looks like it might fit. That's the key to the padlock on the tool shed on Uncle Sycamore's ranch that I stayed at in 1915. <laughs> Heavenly days, don't you ever throw away a key? Nope. No good? No. I'll try this one. Key to a briefcase I had when I sold insurance in 1919. <laughs> no? It's too flat. You could pry it open with a crowbar, McGee, or drop it out of an upstairs window if you find nine friends stupid enough to carry it upstairs. <laughs> well, just wait a minute. There's a right way and a wrong way to do things, Tootsie, and I haven't used up the wrong ways yet. <laughs> Now, let's see if I can... Hello, Mr. McGee and Mrs. McGee. Creepers, what's the trunk for? Going someplace? We're going every place, Alice, if this trunk is as full of money as himself here thinks. <laughs> we bought it at an auction. Used to belong to a rich millionaire, Alice, a miser, J. Farthington Crampwell, the third. And when he kicked off, they found money hid all over his house. Oh. Yeah, overlooking this trunk, of course, out of sheer courtesy to Mr. McGee. Yeah. Well, jeepers, who'd be dumb enough to think of a trunk like this being full of money? Well, I don't like to mention names, Alice. I don't like to mention names, but I could stroke his five o'clock shadow from where I'm standing. Okay, okay. Scoff if you want to. D-Ride. But by George, when I get this trunk open and start counting out cold cash, you got any trunk keys, Alice? <laughs> no, I haven't, Mr. McGee. I don't own a trunk. I just have airplane luggage. Oh, do you like airplane travel, Alice? Do I, creamy? To sail along 15,000 feet in the air with your meals brought to you and no tipping, and with those good-looking pilots saying excuse me when they bump into your elbow that you stuck out when you saw them coming and everything? <laughs> Jeepers, I'll bet I'd love it if I ever tried it. 
Look, kids, this chatter is very amusing, I'm sure, but with a 40-cent lock standing between me and 100,000 bucks, I'm in no mood for Priddle Prattle. <laughs> you got any keys, Alice? Well, here's a key to my toolbox at the factory. Try it, McGee. Okay. No, no. That won't unlock it. Isn't that a coincidence? It won't unlock my toolbox either. <laughs> It won't? Well, then how do you work if you can't get at your tools? Oh, I don't keep them in my toolbox. They get it too dirty. <laughs> you see, it's a toolbox that one of the boys that he works with the next bench made for me. Uh-huh. Things have changed since my day, I guess. I always had to give girls candy or flowers. Now you got to woo a gal with a hunk of sheet iron and five hours overtime. <laughs> well, he made me a perfectly super toolbox, Mr. McGee. I keep my bobby pins and nail polish and compact in it. Mm-hmm. But I can't get the toolbox open, so I look simply a mess at work. Mm-hmm. Well, why don't you take some extra cosmetics along, Alice? And hurt the boy that he works at the next bench to me's feelings? Oh, no. Well, I hope you get the trunk open, Mr. McGee. Well, thanks, kid. <laughs> She was a big help. Well, you bought this trunk, dearie. Getting it open is your problem. Well, don't worry. I'll get it open. Let me try some more of these keys. Let's see. Ah, dear. Talk about inefficiency. I'll bet you don't know what two-thirds of those keys are for. Oh, I don't, eh? Well, for your information, Mrs. McGee, this key here is for the ignition lock on that Apperson jackrabbit I used to drive for old Mr. Balderson back in Peoria. Well, that was 30 years ago. Well, he told me not to lose it, didn't he? <laughs> and this key here is to... Well, I'll admit that one's no good. Here, throw it away. Uh, do you mind if I don't? No, why? That's the key to our front door. <laughs> yes, my gosh, I never even noticed Hello, it. folks, how's it? Well, what's the trunk for? Taking a trip? No, Mr. Wilcox, McGee bought this trunk at an auction. You know what an auction is. Sure, that's a place where a bunch of strangers stand around and bicker about who pays the most money for something none of them really wants. Yeah, but this trunk is full of dough, Junior, I think. You got any keys with you? No, I haven't. You see, McGee, there are men who don't consider it necessary to carry four pounds of keys. Himself here always has so many keys on him, he's getting round-shouldered in the hips, Mr. Wilcox. (laughs) Well, why doesn't he use one of them to open the trunk? Because none of them seems to fit the trunk. That's the reason why I don't. (laughs) Now, let's see. This one here might be... Gee, it's a shame to let a handsome, sturdy trunk like that get looking so shabby when just a little... No, 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 no. Wait a minute. You don't have to... It's a lucky thing. I just happen to have some Johnson's wax and a cloth with me. (laughs) Let's see what it'll do for that wood and leather. Oh, now, Mr. Wilcox, you don't have to do that, my goodness. Get away from that trunk, Junior. I got work to do. So have I. Only waxing a piece of baggage like this isn't really work. It's fun. Oh, for the love of Look, see how the Johnson's wax helps bring back the beauty of the wood, even after all this time. And see what it does for the leather? Gee whiz, it's criminal not to protect an expensive trunk like this with wax. Save it from dampness and dryness and dust. Why, you'd be amazed how much protection a coat of Johnson's wax gives a thing like this. I don't know, Mr. Wilcox. We amaze very slowly. Look, Waxy, get away, will you? I'm not interested in the outside of this trunk. It's the inside I want to get at. Oh, I don't think you'll find it necessary to wax the inside, pal. You see the inside. Don't gun it. Can't you forget that wax for one second? No. Well, I will say it looks a lot better already, Mr. Wilcox. Why, of course it does. You see, Johnson's Look, wax... Junior. Yeah? I don't like to be inhospitable. <laughs> but if you can't contribute more toward getting this trunk open than a lecture on wax, go home, will you? Oh, now, McGee. Hey, where'd you say you got this trunk, pal? At an auction sale. It used to belong to a rich millionaire. Say, 
A cousin of mine, Big Moxie Wilcox, bought a 40-year-old wooden box at an auction once, and he said it was the smartest thing he ever did in his life. Yeah? Boy, was he happy when he got home and opened it up. Yeah? You know what was in it? Here's your hat, Junior. <laughs> and if that box was full of Johnson's wax, put it on an Amstray. <laughs> Polite to you, McGee. Oh, polite nothing. Any guy with my dough doesn't have to be polite. <laughs> Doggone it, I wish one of these keys had fit. Hadn't we got any trunk keys in the house? Oh, someplace, I suppose. I'll ask Beulah. Oh, oh Beulah! Beulah! Somebody ball for Beulah? <laughs> Yeah, we got any trunk keys laying around, Beulah? If we have some, they ain't never come to Beulah's attention. <laughs> Where did this old trunk come from? Well, Mr. McGee bought it at an auction, Beulah. He thinks it might be full of $10 gold pieces. Mm-hmm. $10 gold pieces? What is they? <laughs> Molly, please, you're too excited about this thing. Hold yourself down a little. It might not be full of $10 gold pieces at all. It might be only $5 gold pieces. I didn't say I thought so. I said you thought so. Ma'am, if I had me a trunk I suspicion was full of Indian pennies, I'd tear the lid off with my teeth and nails. <laughs> you wouldn't tear the lid off this one that way, Beulah. This is a genuine dreadnought trunk. They built these things to toss off the top of a stagecoach. Yes, but my point was that if it was just an old trunk between Beulah and Affluent, <laughs> I could kick a hole in with my bare feet. <laughs> What would you do with all that money, Beulah? Well, my goodness, ma'am, I tell you, I'd go right... I'm doggone if I know. <laughs> Anything over ten bucks, I'd get stage fright. <laughs> but I could think of something. You and Ira could really get married on a trunk full of money, couldn't you, Beulah? No, sir. What? Well, Ira, he'd be too proud to marry me if I was a rich woman. Mm-hmm. In which case, I'd dump it in the river. Because, <laughs> you see, it ain't much fun sitting in the movies holding hands with a bank book. <laughs> Not that I ever try it. Well, I'll take a chance on being unhappy, Beulah. Right now, I'm in the position of an amateur musician who's got a chance to conduct the symphony. Why, McGee, said she, shaking her tambourine. <laughs> if I can find the right key, I'll be in the money. Say, if you can find the right key, you'll be... Oh, oh. <laughs> I love that man. Singing Yadata Yadata. Professors of English all agree that making conversation is an art. They should hear you making conversation with me. They'd have a change of heart. When I put my arm around you and we're going for a walk, must you yet the day, yet the day, yet the day, yet the day, talk, talk, talk. When we're sitting close together in a cozy taxi cab, must you yet the day, yet the day, yet the day, yet the day, gab, gab, gab. Aristotle, mathematics, economics, and teachers. Then psychology, biology, photography, biography. Slow down, who cares? There's a brand new moon this evening, and the weather should be fine. If you yet the day, yet the day, yet the day, yet the day, same old line. I'll politely close your lips with mine. 
conversation I heard. Pardon me if I quote. My last pair of nylons developed a run from the knee to the toe. Do you know anyone who can get cigarettes without standing in line? Don't you think Spencer Tracy is simply divine? Shall we go to a movie, my dear? By the way, do you like the new turban I'm wearing today? Can't we find a cafe with a nice atmosphere? I would so love a steak. Did you say something, dear? You do it every time. There's a brand new moon this evening, and the weather should be fine. If you yet the chance, yet the chance, yet the chance, yet the chance, same old line. Though I'd really love to pop you, I know the only way to stop you is to close your lips with Rat of Molly, I've tried every key I own, and this lid hasn't budged an inch. Haven't you got any trunk keys hid away? No, dearie, I haven't, but there's an axe in the basement. You can chop a hole in it. Yeah, I thought of that, but there's a heavy penalty for defacing United States currency. Yeah? Yeah, if that axe should slap into one of those $10 gold pieces, I'd be in trouble. Yeah, there's that, too. Mm-hmm. And if it's full of diamond rings, you might dull the axe. Might as well think of everything. Oh, I see. I hate to call a locksmith because he'd blab all over town that McGee was in the bucks. I want to blab that myself. Come in. Dr. Gamble. Hello, Molly. Hello, small fry. Hi, Pasteur. Cow Pasteur. <laughs> you got any trunk keys on you? No, and I left my burglar's jimmy home, too. Careless of me. McGee bought this trunk at an auction, Doctor, and he can't get it open. Probably just as well. Yeah, but he's sure it's full of money. It jingles and it's so heavy you can't lift it. Oh, that's too bad. Otherwise, he could carry it down to my office and have it x-rayed. X-rayed? My gosh, I never thought of that. I was sure you hadn't. It was too sensible an idea. Well, I guess the only answer is either break it open or call a locksmith, dear. Gosh, I hate to bust a trunk open that I paid $10 for just... $10? For that superannuated egg crate? Brother, you're really a yokel. Did anybody ever try to sell you the Statue of Liberty? We don't talk about that, Doctor. Why not? Because we don't. That's why, no <laughs> My gosh, I was merely going to present it to the government. Patriotic gesture. How would you uh, suggest getting this trunk open, Doctor? Well, I don't like to stress the obvious, but I'd find out who made the trunk, go to the local agency, and get a key. Now, that's the kind of a bright suggestion I'd have expected from you, Pastor. <laughs> they haven't made these trunks for 75 years. The alternative, then, is to get a locksmith. Or you could wait till next winter, fill the lock with cold water, and let the ice expand it open. Oh, I'd be nervous having $220,000 in the house all the time. How much? That's what I figured, Doc. 220000 if it's full of $10 gold pieces. Or 110000 if it's full of $5 gold pieces. That's just half as much as if it's full of 10 Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, would you think it forward of me if I wanted to take your temperature, Sonny? Yes, I would. And you get your big fat hand off my forehead. <laughs> He's not feverish, Doctor. After all, there's a slight chance that this trunk might have money in it. For the love of Mike, why doesn't he look? I've been telling you, dumbbell, I haven't got a key that'll open it. The only key that'll fit a dreadnought trunk is a dreadnought key. And that's why I think just Molly. Hey. Well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just trying something, dearie. Huh? My little brother got locked in a trunk once, and my mother opened it with a hairpin. Oh, don't be ridiculous. That trunk will have to be chiseled open. Don't be so sure, Gabby. Women can do more with a hairpin than a... Ah, there it is, McGee. I unlocked it. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Take that end of it, Doc. When I say three, tip it over. Uh, why don't we just raise the lid and peek in? No, no, no. It's more dramatic this way. Oh. You ready? Yep. One, two, 
Dreadnought trunk keys. <laughs> my, my. You'll need a bigger key ring now. Oh, this is ridiculous. Hey, Molly, you know what I did? Had I better sit down before you tell me? No, look, I took all those dreadnought trunkies, 7,000 of them. Yeah? I took them to a locksmith, and he gave me 20 bucks for them. Well, good for you, dear. Yeah. You made a profit on your investment after all. Yeah, and because you were smart enough to open the trunk with a hairpin, I, I bought you a little present. Oh, you're so kind. Thank you, darling. <laughs> what is it? Package of hairpins. Oh. <laughs> yep. Good night. Good night, all. This is Harlow Wilcox, speaking for the makers of Johnson Wax Finishes for Home and Industry, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the Commercial Broadcasting Company. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Inner Sanctum, followed by Screen Guild Theater. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.